Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. medley of songs. I'd never heard that. That first part is one of my favorite uh, songs that leads me to worship when I think about why should I gain from his reward. So thank you, Miss Kathy. And you're right, Brother John. We are we're very blessed here at First Baptist Church with people who have the gift of uh, song and we're, we're so very blessed in our church. And so uh, tell Jay I said that. We're very blessed. And Miss Kathy, of course, is one of our greatest, and we're so happy. You know what makes a, a singer, uh, the, the, the difference between a gift and a talent is, is a gift comes from the Holy Spirit and is delivered with a humble spirit. And uh, that's what we just saw, and that's why we were able to worship. Amen. And not all of us, though, have that gift of song. This week, uh, Miss Tracy and I were going on a date night, and right before we got to the Winn-Dixie, um, a song came on the radio, and it was a beautiful song, and I, a fellow singing it, and I, I said, people tell me that that's what I sound like when we, I sing. And she said... It's worse than I thought you're hearing voices in your head. <laughs> and I thought she was going to call that 1-800 number on me, you know. And, but uh, I was encouraged. One of the little boy, Cole man, came by, and Cole uh, and Coop, and Cole hugged me and said, I think you're going to do a good job up there today. <laughs> so amen. I like that. He's church member of the year today. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, open them up to 2 Samuel, the fifth chapter, as we journey through this wonderful, wonderful book about David and about the King of Kings, and it's always about the Lord Jesus. While you're um, share with you that next week, uh, one of my dearest friends on planet Earth will be preaching uh, for us next week. Dr. Mike Holloway, I've known him for over 30 years now, and and um, dear friend, he never has preached here before, and he, he called me up and said, hey, I'm going to be uh, down in Gulfport. You live anywhere near Gulfport? And I said, I do. And he said, well, my granddaughter has a soccer thing down there, and we're going to stay over and want to come hear you preach on Sunday. And I said, well, brother, I'm uh, at a... Uh, Something tore up down here. I'm a, um, I, I said, I'm in 2 Samuel, and um, I'm in a chapter, the fifth chapter, which is a chapter of milestones. In other words, and what I mean by that, they're milestones in the life of David, and you can take pause and come back to it and not interrupt the flow of the text, of the narrative, even in your preaching week by week. And I said, my people... And I need to hear you preach. You've never preached here before, and, and I want you to preach. I need to hear your message. And I told them about who your mission. And by the way, you can see we have some more orange balls, and I'm grateful for that. People are being saved. Uh, some of them not from here, but uh, the Lord is blessing. 
And um, I, I told him about that, and I said, man, you come preach what God lays on your heart and encourage us in who's your mission. And um, he said, no, I, I want, you know, and we argued a little bit. And I said, I'm the pastor, you do what I say. So uh, he's going to uh, preach, and you'll be blessed by, by uh, Dr. Holloway, Brother Mike, whatever you want to call him. And uh, I want to tell you right now, ignore any punchlines he gives about me. Speaking of who's your mission, uh, Miss Kathy and Deborah Golden lead up one of our missionary efforts at Truewood, the Assisted Living Center, every first Tuesday of every month, a worship service for those wonderful people there. We still go to the lighthouse. So we're on mission even here at home. And I just want to encourage you in that, and thank you, ladies, for that. And Miss Tracy goes, and and others uh, go, uh, Charlene Niles and Coach go to, to um, uh, the Lighthouse, and it's a great effort. If you want to get involved in that, see, see them. See them. Second Samuel chapter 5, I call this, Oh, Happy Day, because this is indeed a happy day in uh, the experience of David and the people of Israel. The Bible says, Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron. And King David made a covenant with them, a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed King David king over all Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. This was indeed a happy day. I want to show you just how happy this day is. So take your Bible marker or your thumb or something and keep it in 2 Samuel 5 and flip with me, if you will, forward to the sister text of this account to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And this chapter here records the people who came, the armies of the rebel force who came to David after seven and a half years of civil war. And this chapter explains who came to David before he was ever king in Hebron. And then he starts to explain and number the tribes and who came to David in 2 Samuel 5 to anoint him as king over all Israel. Prior, he was only anointed king of, of Judah. And there was a seven and a half year civil war, as you know, and now he is anointed king over all the whole nation. And it was indeed a happy day. And I want to show you verse 38 of, second, of 1 Chronicles 12. All these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest also of Israel were of one heart to make David king. And there they were with David three days eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, they that were nigh them, even unto Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali, brought bread on uh, mules and on camels and on mules and on oxen and donkeys and meat and meal, cakes of figs and bunches of raisins and wine and oil and sheep abundantly. And look at the last phrase, there was joy in Israel. And indeed, this was a happy, happy day. The war was over. It was time for peace. These men and their families, the whole nation, was coming to anoint David king and bow the knee to God's anointed king, David, 
after a long, bloody civil war. There was great joy. There's a couple of things I want to point out before I begin to preach today uh, about this. One is at the one is there in verse 39 of First Chronicles 12, how the Bible says, "For their brethren had prepared for them." What a wonderful, wonderful description of Hoosier mission that is. When David was anointed king seven and a half years prior to this in Hebron, only by the tribe of Judah, there was that bloody civil war, and now seven and a half years later, preparing for the whole nation to come. Are you preparing for people to come to Jesus? That's the question. Are you preparing for people to come to God's anointed king, the Lord Jesus Christ, preparing by prayer, preparing by being ready to receive them and love them and share the gospel with them. And what a wonderful picture of who's your mission we find in this text. And if you don't have who's your mission, you need to get one and then prepare for them and pray. You know, I prayed uh, from a portion of our who's your mission list this morning before coming to church. And I, I was praying and what uh, struck me was this particular page of the list had several of our children who were in children's church right now. They had people on, they had a mission. The young children had a mission. And uh, I was just so thrilled about that. And I was able to pray with a greater zeal when I noticed that, that our children have a mission. Amen? was about a child shall lead them. And so there you have it. Great, happy day. Isn't it a happy day when people come to Jesus? It's a happy day for our church. It's a happy day for that one who comes to the Lord. And it's a happy day in heaven. There's rejoicing in the presence of angels in glory when one comes to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you haven't come to the Lord Jesus. Today I'm going to do two things. I'm going to talk to you about um, what you need to bring with you when you come to Jesus. And then I'm also going to talk to you first about how God is bringing you up to this day, how God is preparing you for this day. And I want to tell you, if you were to come to Jesus today, it would be a happy day at First Baptist Church. If you're not 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, you're not so sure whose army you're in, the Lord's army, the devil's army, the world's army, what have you, and you're not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, it would be a happy day because the war, the battle would be over and you would come surrendering to the Lord. I want to tell you what, I'll have a good time if you do, and you'll have a greater time if you do, and just think of the rejoicing up in heaven when somebody comes to Jesus. Not the angels rejoicing, although I think they probably do. I don't, I don't know. I'm not an angel, never have been, can't relate to them. Neither can you. But I want to tell you, the saints of God rejoicing in heaven. Oh, happy day when somebody comes to Jesus. Joy in all Israel and joy in the church. So keep your finger on uh, chapter 12 there in First Chronicles, and I want to take us back to 2 Samuel 5. We're going to go back and forth today. We're a swinging door sermon today. And I want you to notice the very first word of our text in 2 Samuel 5 is the word then. T-H-E-N. That short, small linking word is the longest word in all of the text. It has an eternity in front of it, and then after it, it has a long, lengthy history, even until this day. Something happened on this then that changed the course of all history. It was a point in time for David and for the people of Israel that changed direction then. You know, you have seasons of life just like I do. We have our seasons of life. There's some things in this life that have brought you to where you are. Can you imagine David being anointed king by Samuel when he was 15 years old? Fifteen years old, God comes, sends Samuel to go get him out of the pasture where he's keeping sheep. 
and anoints him as king of Israel and says, young man, you're going to be king one day. I mean, he's 15 years old. He's still buying oxycream. I mean, he's a teenager. Amen? And anoints him king and then sends him back. Says, go keep the sheep. Well, I, I thought you just anointed me king. Oh, yes, son, but you, you, you're not ready. You, God is going to prepare you, see, and, and, and prepare you for these, for, to be king. But I'm just telling you, God's got a purpose for you when you're 15 years old. And then three years later, he's 18 years old. And his daddy tells him, load up the cheese. You know that old hoop cheese covered in wax? And you put it on the, on the dashboard of your pickup truck when you go hunting and the sun sweats a little bit. Boy, that's good, isn't it? Well, David was told, take some cheese and go to the battlefield where your brothers are and give this to his, their commanders. He's 18 years old. Out marches the big giant Goliath. And David says, I'll go fight him. I'll take care of him. And he has five smooth stones and a slingshot. And at 18 years old, he slays the Philistine giant Goliath. Am I ready to be king now? Oh, no, 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 you're not. Go back. And then when he is back, he gets called back again. And now he's got to serve in Saul's court. He's got to be an armor bearer. And he's got to tote water, and he's got to be in the court of King Saul and, and, and see how you deal with the diplomats and see how you reign a little bit. But then when he's 20 years old, two years after killing Goliath, Saul's jealousy and hatred is manifest and it has reaches a pinnacle. He tries to kill David. David has to flee, and for 10 years from the time he's 20 years old to 30 years old, David is on the run as a fugitive. Can you imagine when he's in the caves at En Gedi and he's looking at how he has to go out and, and hunt and fish and, and scrounge and he's, at the, he's, he, he's receiving charity sometimes from uh, beneficiaries throughout the land uh, and he's just having a hard time and ruffians are coming to him to form his army and he looks up to God and he says, when I was 15 years old, you told me I was going to be king. You said you had a plan for me, a purpose for me. I know there's something you want me to do special. Why is it taking so long? Because I'm preparing you right now. See, he learned how to have victory. He learned how to be patient. He learned how to manage wisdom He's learning how to be kingly during these years. And then when he's 30 years old, Saul is killed in battle. David's character has been manifested. It has been shaped for 10 years. It, his destiny has been determined from his vantage point from the time he was 15 from God's for eternity. And when he is 30 years old, he is made king over Judah one tribe out of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he doesn't become king of everything, but just king of one thing, the tribe of Judah, and he is in Hebron. And then seven and a half years later, he's 37 years old. Folks, that's a total of 22 years. You know what? God takes his time to prepare us. And there are seasons of life you go through and you experience. Some of them are set down in our culture and society, graduations, uh, uh, milestones, things that we go through as Americans, as people. Everybody has these milestones. But some of them are God-ordained only for you. For example, you've never killed a giant. But David did. You, you, you're not going to walk out and throw a rock at a Philistine. Amen. First of all, you can't use a slingshot. And second of all, there's no Philistines left. Not in America anyway. And so he's 22 years in the making. And what does God do? God says, now is the time to become king. See, God prepares us. And he prepared David. David. 
and he brought it to pass. So take heart. You might be in a cave somewhere, uh, figuratively speaking. You might be struggling with something right now, but God is preparing you for something. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, that everything you go through, every season you go through as a Christian is preparing you to minister to someone else. Did you know that? Let's not be selfish with our seasons of life. That's contrary to the New Testament. It's contrary to Christian living. And so David is prepared. See how long that, for David, that then was 22 years long. And they all come. They all come. Now, many of you, some of you, I don't know a number, you have said the prayer, you have been in the baptistry, you've been in church, here, there, maybe consistently, maybe not, and you still don't believe you're saved. You just don't know with assurance that you know Jesus as your Savior. Well, I want to encourage you. What you need to do is you need to put down everything else you're reading and studying, and you need to get to the book of 1 John, and you need to spend as much time in 1 John daily praying over it, studying it, Ask questions, we'll do our best to answer them. And studying 1 John, because that's the book that says these things are written, you may know you're saved. But I want to say a second thing, and this is what I want to hone in on in today's message, is you may not be saved. You may not be a Christian. You've gone through all the trappings, but you may not be a Christian. And to become a Christian, Today, to come to the King of Kings and be accepted, just like these men who came to David and were accepted, and the kingdom began. They brought three things with them. When you come to be saved and be received by Christ and enter into the kingdom, to be accepted by Christ, you need to bring three things with you. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I've heard all my life we're saved by grace and we don't have anything to bring. Oh, yes, you do. And I want to tell you the three things. Y'all ready for them? Go back with me real quick to 1 Chronicles 12. And the first thing you need to bring with you, if you want to be accepted into God's kingdom, you need to bring a surrendered will. Your surrendered will. That's what you need to bring, a surrendered will. 1 Chronicles 12 speaks of the perfect heart, the sincere heart these men had. Before we get to that, though, we need to talk about their surrender. You know, um, that then we talked about, in terms of David, it was for preparation. Why is it so long for the nation of Israel, these soldiers that came to David, why did it take so long for them to surrender their will? There are two things that bring us to Christ that God uses in life, the seasons of life, what have you, to bring us to himself. One is, is his kindness. The book of Romans teaches us that the kindness of God brings us to repentance. And it is that God just pours out His blessings upon people. And they recognize, what, what did I ever do to deserve even one of the things you have done? Like the old song, Mickey. And they just look up and say, God, I didn't deserve this. And the Holy Spirit uses the goodness of God to bring us to repentance. The old timers in theology called it common grace. The grace is cold that everybody has. 
breath to breathe. The fact that you are here is common grace because the worst pagan, most ungodly person in this town could have come here today just like you. He has the same grace, that common grace. I believe that in the United States of America, we have experienced the common grace of God more so than any other country on the face of the earth. A while ago, I joked about going on a date night to Winn-Dixie. That's what you do when you've been married for 36 years. And, and, you know, I say, let's go on a different date tonight. Instead of Walmart, go to Winn-Dixie. But I walked into that grocery store, and you know what? The aisles, the, the shelves were packed with food. You say, but the, the inflation has raised the prices. Do you think there's some people in the deep, darkest continents of the world where they, they have nothing in India in places, in Iran and Iraq where there, there's places where food is withheld from them, in North Korea where there's been famines. You think they're worried about inflation prices? They can't even get rice, and we're worried about paying for it. Even with all the troubles and the upside-down moral condition of our country, we still have the common grace of God. You came here today in a vehicle. Some of you came in two vehicles because you got mad at each other at the house. <laughs> Amen. We're blessed beyond measure. At least four of you are going to say, Dr. Mike, we want to treat you to a big steak for lunch after we're done. <laughs> I'm going to have to line you up all week long. The common grace of God. But what have we done in our country with the common grace of God? We have considered him afflicted, scorned, and turned our back on him. That's what we have done. And when that happens, there's a second means by which God uses to get our attention toward himself. And that is pain, and that is suffering, and that is affliction. And that is hurt. I have led many people to Christ who were raised just like I was in a wonderful home with wonderful parents and grandparents and an extended family and a community that was, a, that was blessed. That, that When I got in trouble at school, they knew it before I got, my mama knew it before I got home. Amen. I grew up that way. I've led many people to Christ who have had the common graces of God and have said, yes, God is good to me and I know it and I want to give my life to him. I want to be saved. But I have led many others, many more others, who spurned that common grace and they had pain and affliction and sickness and hurt in their life and it's what got their attention. And they surrendered to Christ. That is how our army came to the Lord, came to David. That's how the Israeli army, the 11 tribes, came to David after seven and a half years of pain a bloody civil war. It took them seven and a half years to wake up and say, this is not working for us. As a matter of fact, if you read 1 Chronicles 12, he gives the number of the soldiers that came to David from these 11 tribes. The number adds up, if I did my math correctly, to 310,700 men of arms. 310,700 soldiers. David in Judah, when he ruled Judah in Hebron, he only had 6,800 soldiers. 310,700 to 6,800 in logical standards and in normal conditions, who's going to win that war? But the house of Saul with its 310-700 gets weaker and weaker and weaker for seven and a half years. And David with his 6,800 gets stronger and stronger and stronger. I don't know why it took them seven and a half years to wake up and say, this is not working 
We're dying. We're suffering. Our sons are dying on the battlefield. Our daughters are doing without their daddies. Our mamas are doing without their sons. It's going to affect us all if we do not stop and surrender. And finally, they did. Our leaders are dead. It's time to surrender. So I would tell you, dear friend, I encourage you, trust Christ because of the common graces he has given you in this world. But also trust Christ if you're in pain and you're suffering. He's calling you. He's desiring you to come to him in repentance. Let me show you one more thing about this surrendered will. If you look at, um, oh, let's see, verse... Uh, where is it? Verse 32 of 1 Chronicles 12. And of the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were 200, and all their brethren were at their commandment. There were 200 leaders of the tribe of Issachar. The smallest number in this whole list were from the tribe of Issachar. But notice what the Bible says about these men of Issachar. They had understanding of the times to know what Israel, the 11 rebellion, rebellious tribes, should do. These men of Issachar were the ones who gathered all the army together and said, men and brethren, it is time to surrender. Our nation is going to be destroyed. David will not spare us if we have a haughty heart. We must surrender our will and we must repent of this civil war and this bloody rebellion. We must. We are dying. By the way, that is one way to pray for your mission, that they will have the wisdom of God to know when to surrender their will and go to Jesus that God the Holy Spirit would give them that wisdom. I wish God would raise up somebody in our country with stamina and credibility and the background and the fortitude to stand up on a national, national podium or pulpit one and say, Dear fellow countrymen, it is time to repent. It is time to turn back. We are going down weaker and weaker and weaker. Can't you see it? Our enemies are emboldened. Our nation is going down, morally down the tubes. Militarily, we're under threat. We must repent and turn to God. I wish somebody in our nation had that stamina, but we don't have anybody. And I hope you in your life that today, right now, the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom to where you say it's time to quit Rebelling, it's time to quit trying to do my own thing, make my own king, be my own king, and it's time to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who God has anointed as King of kings. And you come to Jesus with your surrendered will. Amen. Amen? amen. Something wrong with you if you can't amen that. Well, what about the second thing, preacher? We bring our surrendered will. What about the second thing? They brought their soiled weapons. They brought their soiled weapons. Look at verse 25, 1 Chronicles 12. Of the children of Simeon, mighty men of valor for the war, 7,100. Look at verse 29. And of the children of Benjamin, the kindred of Saul, 3,000. For hitherto the greatest part of them had kept the ward for the house of Saul. They were the, they were the ones who protected the house of Saul. Saul and his lineage and uh, they, were, they were the ones who stayed in the Sauline line, the very ones David would want dead if he was a normal king. Look at verse, uh, let's see, uh, look at verse 33. Of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle experts in war with all instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank. They were not of a double heart. They had a sincere heart. And then look at verse 34. And of Naphtali, a thousand captains, and with them was shield and spear, 37,000. 
and of the tribe of Dan, expert in war, 28,600. And of Asher, such as went forth to battle, expert in war, 40,000. And on the other side of Jordan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, with all manner of instruments of war for the battle, 120,000, all these men of war. They brought their soiled weapons with them. What a fascinating thing. The very weapons soiled with the blood of David's men, of David's kindred, the very shield splattered on the battlefield with the blood of the Judaites, men of David who had bowed the knee to David, his men. That's what they brought to David. Now that is very telling because so far in 2 Samuel, you may recall, we have seen three different people bring three things to David in order to be accepted by him, in order to be a part of his kingdom, and all three times he has rejected them. As a matter of fact, all three times it cost them their life. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. You may think you have the right way to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's going to end in death. First of all, in 2 Samuel 1, we see the Amalekite. Remember him? He was on the battlefield scavenging, and he came across the body. Took the bracelets off his wrist, and what did he do? He went right straight to Ziklag where David was, and he came to David, and David said, Who are you, and what do you have? And he said, I, I'm, I'm the one who killed Saul. He brought deception to David. He, he wanted to cover up and lie about him, himself and lie about his sin. He brought deception. You know, there's people who try to come to the king, the king of kings, and they bring nothing but deception. They, they say, well, that part may be wrong, but this part isn't sin. And the Bible says in 1 John, they deceive themselves and they make God a liar. And then we have Abner. Remember Abner? Abner came to the king, and what did he do? He brought a deal. He said, I'll make a deal with you, David. You receive me into your kingdom, make me something special, and I'll bring the whole host of Israel to you. Let's make a deal. He tried to deal with his sin. He said, God, I want to, it's all about me now, and I still want to be all me, and I can do this for you if you can do this for me. And then a couple of weeks ago, remember that pair of brothers, uh, Rechab and Bahanai? Remember what they did after Abner died and was murdered? They, they took Ishbosheth and murdered him in his own bedroom and cut off his head. Remember that wonderful, exciting text. And they traveled all night to Hebron to David, and they walked in, they held up that head and said, Here he is. We're able to make you king. Saul was your enemy. This was his son. God has done this for you, David. And they quoted quote-unquote God, and they put God in the mix trying to justify their sin. See, when you come to the king of kings, the Lord Jesus, to be accepted, if you bring your deceit and try to shield your sin, he's going to see right through it. And you're going to be a liar in his eyes, and the end is death because you will not be received. And then if you come trying to make a deal with God, telling God, well, I'll give up this if you do this. I, I'll, I'll, uh, I can do this for you, Lord, if, if you'll do this. If you receive me, this is what I'll do. The problem with Abner was it was all about him. He was the opportunist. And so if you came to Jesus when you came to Jesus trying to make a deal with him, you are in no position to bargain. None. And then, Rechab and Bahanah, they tried to justify their sin. I've had people try to justify their sin. You say, well, you need to be saved. You need Jesus as your Savior. Well, this is what I do, but this is why. Nope, nope, nope. Sin is sin. And it cost them their lives. They had a way that seemed right unto God, right unto them, but the end thereof was the way of death. It wasn't God's way. But these men, these men brought their weapons. I just wonder if David looked at those swords and spears and shields and saw the soil of battle for seven and a half years of rebellion against him. 
If he thought that blood was my kindred, that blood was my tribe, those weapons, if it had been three months earlier from now, would have pierced my heart. That spear, that one right there is carrying. Three months ago, if he had the opportunity, he would have shoved it through my chest. No, David knew their hearts. He knew they were coming with a surrendered will, and they were just bringing their sin. They're instruments of sin. And when you come to Jesus, that's all you can bring to be accepted. What a wonderful king that is. Not spoil of gold and not, not like the ancient kings would say, you bring your tribute to me. You bring the instruments of your rebellion. And that's when you come to Jesus. You got to bring your sin. The prodigal son returned. He didn't stop by a hotel and get a shower. He had the hog slop all over him. And his daddy received him. And I want to tell you what, you want to be received by Jesus, you got to surrender your will and say it is time to quit wanting my own king, trying to be my own king. It's time to turn and repent and surrender my will. And it's time to bring my soiled weapons as ugly and as brutal and as terrible as they have been against the king, I bring them to him. You come to Jesus with your sin. That's the only way to be received. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs 28, he says, He who seeks to hide his sin, who covers it up, shall not prosper. But he who confesses his sin, agrees with God about it, confesses his sin, and turns from it, forsakes it, he will have mercy. You bring your sin. I think there's a lot of people who struggle with their salvation experience because they don't have a salvation experience because when they came to Jesus, they brought their traditions, they brought their culture, they brought their family history, huh? They brought their expectations from mom and daddy and grandma and grandpa, and they didn't bring their sin. And it's no wonder they can't worship on Sunday. And it's no wonder they struggle with doubting and whether or not they're really saved because they brought everything to Jesus. Ishbosheth's head, Abner's deal, and the Amalekites' bracelets, and said, We're here. Here I am. And they didn't bring their sin. Sin has to be dealt with. Now, there's one more thing. And go back with me to uh, Second, uh, 2 Samuel now, 2 Samuel 5. In verse 38 of First Chronicles, as you're turning, it says they came with a perfect heart to Hebron. They came with a sincere heart. And so the third thing you bring when you come to Jesus, if you want to be accepted, is sincere words. Sincere words. The Bible says they came to Hebron and spoke with David. The sister text tells us they came with a sincere, perfect heart. They spoke with David. And this is what they said. We are bone, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also in time past when Saul was king of us, you were the one who led us out and brought us in. And the Lord said to thee, Thou hast shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. They brought their sincere words. You know, they said three things to David. They said, We're bone to bone. We identify with you. Didn't Jesus become one of us to identify with us? He became one of us except without sin so he could bear our sin. And then they said, you're the one who, who led us out and brought us in even when Saul was king. What about that common grace we talked about? You took care of us, David. You were, a, you were kingly when you weren't the king. 
When our king was trying to kill you, you, you spared his life on several occasions. You blessed us. You took care of us. You delivered us. We see that common grace. For seven and a half years, we spurned it and hated it and hated you, but now we repent because now we see how good you are to us. And then they said, and we know what God says about you. Isn't that an amazing thing? They knew what the Word of God said about David. They knew Samuel, the prophet of God, said he's to be king. But they chose Saul anyway 47 years earlier. They knew that David was to be king, but they, they wouldn't receive it. They followed Saul in rebellion. And then when Saul was dead, they continued to follow. It proves that Saul wasn't their problem. They were their problem. They were rejecting the Word of God. But today they come and they say, we repent of that and we come receiving and believing and accepting what the Word of God says about us and it says about you that you're the king. See, that's what confession is, to say the same thing. And to come to Jesus, you need to surrender your will, quit trying to be your own king. You need to bring your sin, your soiled weapons, the very things that offend God, bring them to Him in repentance. And then the third thing is, is you need to bring your sincere words and you need to agree with God what He says about you. You're in rebellion. You deserve to be killed. You deserve to die. But I'll receive you because of my mercy. And you believe what the Bible says about Jesus. Just like they believed what the Word of God said about David, you need to believe what the Bible says about Jesus, that He is the Son of God who died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. You start off believing that, you'll get everything else right before long. And you believe that. See, this is what Paul told us in the book of Romans when he said, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he said, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the heart you believe unto righteousness, the you of you. But with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And so what he's saying is, is the mouth reflects the heart. And you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in the Baptist we would say, are you confessing Christ today? And they say, I am. With their mouth they confess what is in their heart. And that's what these men did. They came to Jesus. They came to King David. Those are what you need to bring to him if you want to be accepted. If you've brought anything else, if you ever brought anything else, he won't accept it. He will accept your surrendered will, your soiled weapons, and he will accept your sincere words spoken from a heart that is humble and repentant. One more thing. This will bless you. You get this about Jesus, you got it. You get this about Jesus, you'll get so thrilled about who's your mission, we won't be able to stop you. You ready? David was anointed king three times. Did you know that? Three times. In 1 Samuel 16, he had a private anointing. Samuel went to Bethlehem, knocked on Jesse's door and said, I need to see your sons. And all those boys lined up and Samuel said, no, is there any more? And, and uh, Jesse said, yeah, there's one more, but he's way out there. He's the youngest, uh, he, you know, kind of ruddy. You know, I want to see him. And God said, I look on the heart. He's got a heart after me. He's the man. And Samuel anointed David king in a private anointing. The only people who knew about it was David, his brothers, if they weren't mad and had left, <laughs> and Samuel himself. And I'm sure he went back and told the sheep. Wasn't it before the foundation of the world, before you were around to know about it, that God the Father anointed Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords before the foundation of the world. A private anointing in heaven. Glory. I just had to say glory. Amen. And then, not only that, he had another anointing, a partial anointing. He was anointed king by one tribe that agreed with Samuel that agreed with God that he's king in Hebron after Saul had died, after Saul had died. He was anointed partially by the people of Israel, one tribe out of 12, the tribe of Judah, to be king. 
Isn't that true today that a few people have said, yes, we agree with the word of God, Samuel, that he is king of kings and lord of lords, and we bring our surrendered will, our soiled weapons, and our sincere words, and we have been received by this king, and we're in his army. But the vast majority of the world still goes after another king, and they refuse to bow the knee and anoint him as king of kings in their life. Isn't that where we are today? But there's a third anointing, this one right here in our text. I call it the prophetic anointing. The prophetic anointing. Seven and a half years after David was partially anointed by Judah, he's fully anointed by all Israel. It's like a prophetic word right here. Isn't it true that one day... In this king-rejecting world, there will be a period of about seven years that is harsh and cruel and bloody and defiant against God. And after that seven years of civil war and tribulation, the whole world will bow the knee and confess the name of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. But today, they'll do it by force. And they'll die without Christ. But today you can do it by faith and come to him with your surrendered will. Come to him with your sin and your soiled weapons. But preacher, you don't know my sin. I know I don't. I don't want to know it. I don't have to know it. But Jesus knows it and he'll cleanse it and make it white as snow. And you'll gain from his reward as the song says. And you'll bow the knee now. That's how you come to Jesus. Oh, happy day. Amen. Oh, happy day if you'd come to Jesus. Let's stand now. We're going to have our song of appeal. Isn't that a wonderful text of Scripture? Amen. I'm happy about that. God is so good to us to show us Jesus on every page of the Bible. And I want you to have him in your mind and heart today. If you don't know Christ, if you've come to him before but you brought the wrong things, the end is death, folks. Under common grace, his kindness, you're alive today and can respond to him and be saved. Don't spurn that. You come to Jesus today. Church member, you've been here for years. If you brought the wrong things, you weren't accepted. Maybe you're a guest today and you want to bring the right things and be accepted into God's kingdom. Bring your sin and your surrendered will. We'll show you how to be saved. Maybe you need to unite with our church. Maybe there's a decision to be made. However... The Spirit leads you. You come forward. Cole and I are up front. We're going to sing. People will be praying. There's people who pray during the invitations. You just come down the aisle and say, I have a decision to make, and this is it. We'll help you. We'll help you. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.